All right. Hey, we're here with Linda Lucas. Linda is author, illustrator, programmer. Um, <laughs> this uh, amazing book series that I've just fallen in love with, Hello Ruby. It's this whimsical take on teaching kids to code and really computational thinking. And the thing that I've been wondering, Linda, to sort of kick things off, I feel like you and I love computers the same way. Like we literally, uh -huh. think, we think they're like adorable and cute. And, uh, you know, I've got the Mac SE30 back there <laughs> and it had its little nice. Yeah, it had its face when it turns on. And yeah. I'm, I'm just worried that you know, we have phones now, these slabs of glass, one solid chip instead of discrete. Mm. Is it possible to fall in love with computers still? Oh, wow. What a question. I, I First of all, I love, I think we share the same idea that computers are cute and quirky, but, quirky, but they're also like really frustrating. They're like toddlers in many ways that you need to give very exact instructions and, and manage them. I think someone told very well that like Mary Poppins would have made an excellent programmer that she would have had the authority and, and the sort of agency to go in there and, and demand the computers to obey her will. Uh, but can you fall in love with a computer? I think you still can. So uh, like the core ideas of computers are so old and uh, they haven't changed much. And then there's been these different phases when computers have, have had these different sort of personality traits, but but you can still love uh, fall in love with computers. Maybe the computer love languages are different. Maybe like we are now giving gifts to computers <laughs> and one day we'll return to like a more touch-based relationship with computers. I don't know, but for sure, I think the next generations will also be able to fall in love with computers. Did you have like an exciting experience with computers? Like were you making websites or was there a mm. game or like was there a distinct period in your your childhood or later that where you're like okay i'm really enjoying this experience and it just started from there or was it more of a you know i think everyone has one of those experiences every programmer i've spoken to actually has like one or two experiences when they felt that the world is so full of like opportunities the world of computers and there's so much to explore and uh, i think i'm really lucky in the sense that i was a kid of the 1990s which meant that computers in some ways they look like the computers we know today they were already graphics based they we had games we had like operating systems that um were kind of friendly to get around uh, uh started with but at the same time computers had this um like handmade quality still that you were allowed to like twitch and tweak and and uh like modify them in a way that the, the glass slabs just don't allow for anymore and i i have these vivid uh, ideas first of all i remember very clearly that we had like a big computer i could just put my uh fingers inside of it uh wow. like the 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 parts of the computer that i definitely wasn't allowed to touch and like the copper and like the just like the childhood curiosity of of being able to like touch something that you're not allowed to touch so uh, i could do that with our sort of not a mainframe computer but like pc computer that i could open up and, and see what was inside of it and then um as for like magical experiences well i do think that um it was my dad who brought us a computer back home in the early 90s and it was a laptop computer although it was more like a draggable computer at the time and he told us that there's nothing you can do with a computer that can't be undone which was a bold statement at the time because computers most grown-ups and adults told that computers are grown-up devices they are expensive you're not allowed to touch them 
And that, as mentioned, he said that there's nothing you can do with a computer that can't be undone, which basically meant that me and my siblings went wild with the computer. We tear it apart. We uh, like uninstalled accidentally Windows a few times. But it also meant that we like fixed things and we we learned to like reinstall stuff that we broke. And and I think that gave us this kind of fearless and curious and, and creative um, relationship with the computer that I still uh, like think about today. Do you think it's changed a lot for this generation where like computers are ubiquitous in a way and yeah. there's no like real clear first computer experience really that they remember? Yeah. My kids are two and four and they've, you know, they've been exposed to computers. I can't like mm. give the first so magic. They're swiping. Yeah. They know how to fully interact with an iPad. It's absurd. Yeah. Or is there something yeah. that's like their first computer is special, like that's theirs and not the family's or, you know, do I need to that's get them true. a vintage computer to make it exciting? I've, I've <laughs> literally thought that like, I should put one of these Apple twos in the, in the mm -hmm. playroom and then say, this is what computers are. And then introduce them every sort of five years mm. in accordance and i'm not going to do that but i would love oh i that. love that yeah like a curriculum of computer history throughout their childhoods that plays out and, and then you yeah. can like have a fast track of, of technological progress start with the very slow slide yeah. so i think uh every generation will have their firsts for sure um like uh there's probably a generation of uh computer programmers from the 1960s and 70s who feels that we were like stolen uh the experience of being able to like switch the plugs or use the punch um cars with a computer so i think the first are interesting but also the last are interesting uh like when when is the last time uh you used a floppy disk or when is the last time that uh like a computer fit into your backpack uh and in some ways, our culture, it very much celebrates firsts um, uh, in childhood and in, in growing up. But I, I think it's also really interesting to pay notice when things stop and when they disappear, because they make far less noise at that point. Yeah, I mean, the the first thing just resonates with me. And I think I think we're roughly the same age, if not you know, born the same mm -hmm. year. But it's I, I almost feel tortured by nostalgia because it's it's it's. <laughs> it's I I look back on that Christmas morning when we got our Sound Blaster yeah. 16 and my like we we I was I couldn't believe you could put it in and it just unlocked all these new possibilities mm. and I brought this up before but that I loved what you're talking about this ability to like break the machine and take it mm. apart and see what's going on and know that it, it's within your power to do that I am kind of worried that that's you know you can't repair your devices now and that sort of thing mm. lost. but one of the things I love in your book is that you sort of explode the computer and the computer ideas in so many ways for people mm. and you, you have kids making them out of paper and even if it does look like one slab of glass you're explaining what these components are and mm. I think that's, uh to me that just seems so such a, like a, an important way of doing it that harkens back to um you know the things that made it resonate with me when i was a kid too yeah although i must say that i'm i i, I fully agree with the ideas here but i must say that i'm also quite like aware of myself being nostalgic all the time and kind of going back to a time when computers used to be this and that and not to even mention the internet when it was and and then I feel like oh like the web free stuff and like all of these new things are kind of new and 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 just remembering it that these are kids who are now like claiming the stake on the ground in the same way as we mm -hmm. did 
back in our early 20s and, and in our teens and and just like recognizing that every generation has to be allowed to have that space to kind of roam free and, and find new things and that means that some old things need to be destroyed uh, while at it so like um, I'm from Helsinki Finland and uh, Nokia used to be like our biggest biggest um, uh, sort of national company like a big part of our GDP was uh, based on on Nokia's success and it was such a heartbreaking moment for many people when Nokia's phone business started to sort of slide and and uh, like they were they weren't like national headlines uh, just saying that like is the Finnish pride gone and so forth and at the same time for my generation I was in my early 20s at the time it was just a moment where like not all of the talent went into Nokia but it like was allowed to blossom and, and find new avenues of, of being out there and i think in technology it's so so important that we don't get like too um too nostalgic and too emotional about what has happened in our past or, or like maybe we we celebrate uh those moments of our own childhood but we don't try to sort of imprint them on other people must say though that there's a lot in ai development that i i've always felt that i'm born in the wrong generation that i i should have been born in the 1970s and 60s when at mit they had like child psychologists and cognitive scientists working side by side with the ai uh folks so yeah uh i sometimes i look back into the like in into a time that i didn't exist for me and be like nostalgic for for that time and i think it's an interesting dynamic there yeah, I have a second chance, Linda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, starting yeah, like you may have you. come back just in time. I was yeah. going to say, Oz, Oz introduced me to Seymour paper. Uh, paper. Mm. You say paper or papered? I, I think he says papered. 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 Okay, so ne yeah. neither of the things I suggest. But yeah, um, the the turtle, the logo program. Like I, yeah. I wish I'm nostalgic for things that didn't even happen to me. Uh, yeah, like exactly. <laughs> Um, there's like a German word for that, probably. <laughs> so uh, there's uh, Puppert, but then also Sherry Turkle, who is actually still alive, uh, does really fascinating work with children and their cognition and ideas around computers. And like her uh, sort of the seminal work was done side by side with Puppert in the 70s and 80s. But like it's so fresh still today, like the ideas haven't aged a bit. And I, I love that about computers, actually, that we think that they are all about like the current trends and, and this pop culture this like zeitgeist of the moment but many of the ideas like take generations and like decades to mature and and that I think in some ways what is like that defines it as a science not as pop culture that there are these ideas that uh, keep going and grow now, I think uh one thing that I've sort of observed from the side and we I think we all have uh we're sort of approaching that with our own kids uh as they get into uh, get older and whatnot and get into school but i do feel as if coding has become part of the educational curriculum but i'm i'm not mm. i don't have a pulse on what that looks like i know Ooh, it's like yeah people they're gonna learn coding but what are they actually learning yeah uh, yeah and what is that <laughs> so it feels like a check the box thing and yeah. I, I feel concerned uh looking ahead yeah it's interesting i i think uh it was such a good thing like roughly 10 years ago when the whole learn to move uh, code movement like started going and there was like national policies changes all around the world not in, only in the states but like in Europe in Asia and people kind of like recognize the rallying cry of like let's learn to code not recognizing that there's this whole intellectual discipline behind it called computer science that is far more than only like the rote mechanical kind of like almost like a trade school ability to code uh, which is 
like which is a good thing but it, it's also like the challenge that keeps us moving forward i think like at the moment we kind of drilled down the idea that learning to code is important and giving step-by-step -step instructions to a computer and then there's this whole new paradigm of like prompt engineering and machine learning that like takes a whole different approach into into that like uh, how do you make a computer obey your will discussion and i think the cycles are interesting in the sense that at least here in europe a lot of the curriculums change at the 10-year interval so the core curriculums they don't change every time a new react framework comes out but they are far like slower glacial almost in their pacing and i used to be so frustrated about this i was so gung-ho about changing things but now i've started to recognize that it's a good thing that educational systems don't change because you need to change like the individual teachers, the individual systems, the accreditations, testing, like everything with it. So a 10 year cycle is like, uh, is as fast as we can move. Uh, and at the same time, like the things that we put into that curriculum are really, really important so that like, we don't define things at a too low level so that we accidentally like create a generation of Java programmers who don't like recognize any of the foundational ideas. Uh, or at the too high level where we just get confused teachers who say that, hey, we don't have the sort of practical tools to teach these things. So you are, I think, uh, correctively concerned, uh, but maybe we can turn that concern into somehow actionable that mm -hmm. like it, it's a process and it was never meant to be like one shot, we get it right um, and change the system. It's more like a process of, of figuring out. And it's a young discipline also, we've never done this before. We've never like figured out how to teach computer science at a like for a whole generation of kids uh so there's bound to be you're being modest and... linda i'm sure you figured out how to teach computer science <laughs> to kids. do you, know, do you have know, like yes. do, do you have a kind of core set of principles or like if you were to assess a, a curriculum or just glance at it is are there mm. kind of core ideas that you're hoping to see there i would hope to see like mentioned i would hope to see more than only code I would hope to see uh, like some of the, like how computers work. I would love to see something on data. Uh, I would love to see something on the internet and as mentioned, AI and machine learning. Um, ethics, uh, such an important part in, in figuring out computer science. And then uh, something on like, so, so I'm biased in the sense that I work only with early childhood education and, and at that age you are exploring the world with your fingertips, with your, tip of your tongue with your hands and knees and and uh, that's something I'm also looking for in the uh, curriculum is like how much flexibility and freedom does it actually offer for the teachers to interpret uh, the guidance um, well and I think one curriculum that I actually like a lot is the UK curriculum there's of course like a language barrier that I don't understand every single curriculum in the world but I think they've uh, in UK they've done like quite um, like well balanced the, the difficulties of figuring out like a high level abstract goals and then low level like how do we actually help the teachers and build the support out there and they have this wonderful like master teacher ideas that you have uh like or, or like teacher i don't remember what they call it nowadays but like pair teachers so you have one teacher who has a little bit more knowledge and and this just like grassroots support groups um with and i think raspberry pi has been a big part of also figuring uh that component out um like how how to give that day-to-day -day support for the teachers as they are navigating the new curriculums 
Yeah, to me, it feels uh, I'm detecting that you have some amount of confidence that the system can figure this out right. over time, whereas mm -hmm. I feel like another take could be the system just moves too slow. I think you were saying before you were yeah. frustrated by that, but I feel like a, something I've seen in the U.S. maybe increasingly is that there's a it's the sort of parent led education that is going to mm -hmm. be needle or you're going to have to do these in after school coding programs because yeah. the schools are never going to catch up. But am I right in thinking that you think the the system has yeah. to be it has to be a part of this and it can. So it can I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm definitely a person who believes in hope. I, I, I'm not like an optimist or a pessimist. I think those are two simplistic mm. like ideas, but hopeful is a person who kind of sits there in between of like the certainty of a pessimist and the certainty of an optimist. So I'm hopeful about computer science education. And I think the bigger challenge uh, is the sort of segregation of schools that like there are schools that are doing amazing things and then schools that uh, don't even have computers that they could use or don't have internet access or or just are like firewalled by um, their school districts. Um, and that is true, not only in the US, but like everywhere in the world. So that's a far bigger challenge in my opinion than like the pace of change, which can be slow, but as you mentioned, it can be kind of supported by parent-led uh, initiatives, but educational systems, they take time to change. And uh, we just coming from technology, we kind of need to adapt to that pace of change, but I'm more worried about um, the distribution of change. If, if that becomes too skewed, then we are uh, in deep trouble. I did want to touch on the AI thing a little bit more. Has the advent of LLMs, whether it's for writing or certainly for like mm -hmm. learning to code, has that, have, have that changed your mind on anything uh, in terms of how you might approach tackling teaching yeah. computer science? I don't know. It's it's funny. I was so disillusioned and like uninterested in all of the image based stuff. I was like, why are people having this conversation? Whether this is art, it's so obvious. It's not like it's just a tool to like make things and not even that interesting things that like in the same way as uh, the artist David Hockney has been like using uh, photography and like uh, copy machines and faxes and everything to make his art. Like uh, all of the generative stuff is is kind of a continuum from that and. Uh, so forth. But then when all of the text-based stuff started to happen, I was kind of like starting to realize that actually it is more than just like a new kind of pen or a new kind of um, paintbrush. And uh, I don't know if it's like changed my thinking right, quite yet, but I, I do think that there is a need for uh, like uh, pedagogy. And that's the space where like I feel like teachers always lack confidence because there's this model and it's ancient. It's called TPAC, which is like technological abilities, pedagogical abilities, domain abilities, and I can't remember what the fourth one is. Anyways, but the idea is that you separate like the things that a teacher needs to have. And the teachers are so focused on the technological abilities, like can I teach what an LLM does or, uh, or how can I use LLMs in my teaching um, like uh, from like a technical point of view. But then they forget that they already have the pedagogical abilities and and that is something that is uh like uh the core of of teaching and learning it's not transactional it's about like creating uh a memory or creating a space where the learning happens and the teachers don't need to have all of the technical answers they don't even need to have all of the domain knowledge answers it's enough that they have the pedagogical uh like certainty or at least conviction that um of the thing that they want to be uh, 
gearing towards. And I think with AI and uh, LLMs and so forth, like that's going to be where the interesting discussions happen, where like teachers are giving their sense of ownership over the tools that they are teaching. And we ask them the questions of how should we be teaching with these things? Um, well, that's a, that feels like a return to the logo mindstorms approach where the mm -hmm. teacher is the co the co spirit guide with the student and uh, they don't necessarily have all the answers. So I think that could be an interesting yeah. lens on it. Yeah. Oz, I wanted yeah. to ask you, your students are professionals. They are people who are, you know, typically uh, working professionals. Has has your approach to LLM LLMs changed? When we had chatted about it in the past, it's like, don't let an LLM take all the fun stuff out of programming. Programming is can be really fun. So what is what is your stance been here? Um, I keep asking my students frequently, like to what extent are they are they continuing to to use code generation tools, um, or you know, Chat GPT for for questions. Um, and it feels like it's equilibrating around um, this is like an IDE uh, where some people like it, some people don't. Mm -hmm most people see it as like a marginal improvement you know in the lineage of other marginal improvements that we have um i sometimes ask like how impactful do you think this is relative to fortran like uh relative to compiler <laughs> or something and um yeah mixed mixed responses but <laughs> selfishly from a personal perspective i do need to correct chat gpt a lot uh mm -hmm. where people where people come with a question and the question is kind of muddled uh like the, their model of the, the the student's model of the question is muddled and after probing they'll say well chat gpt told me this and it's not entirely wrong um but mm -hmm. it's misleading in a way that needs some clarification and uh that's made my job harder in some ways because i need mm -hmm. to be more interrogative i mean uh, Teachers always need to be interrogative, but mm -hmm. in this case, they really need to get to the bottom of like, how did the mental model uh, become so firm but incorrect in this way? And how, yeah. how can we undo that? Like, what was the core misunderstanding that we can rectify? So that's that's been a bit awkward with, with ChatGPT, to be honest. But, you know, students, students get some value. Like, there's obviously... Yeah, sorry. The mental models, I think, is so interesting also as a because I, I think there would be so much interesting research to be done around like how do people form uh, like models or mental models around computer science concepts and ideas and like in what way they are correct and in what way they are unhelpful and and like maybe we could use ChatGPT to surface those uh, somehow that uh, like by being able to like see their discussion logs or or like how do they come up with uh, with ideas? But I I think you are uh, there, there's just like an interesting role also for the teacher in the future to be able to be still the person who actually goes into the brain of the person and tries to like pull out uh, like what is the misconception here or where where does it like come from? And yeah, it'd be very interesting. Can't do that. Yeah, it doesn't ask questions. It's not it's yeah. not good at asking questions. Even if yeah. you ask it to ask you questions, it comes up with yeah. terrible yeah. questions. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be interesting if we get a next generation of uh, LLMs that are, you know, not not purely instruction tuned, that they're not just following orders, that they are asking questions back like a teacher. I know people are working on this kind yeah. of thing. So we'll see. We'll see if it can come up with an interesting line of questioning like a teacher does. I'm okay. still. I'm just waiting for young ladies' illustrated primer to come to life. Yeah, I think there's there's only <laughs> about 
40 uh, company <laughs> companies working on exactly that. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. That's when I'm going to really achieve my childhood dreams and whatnot. So, but until then, I, I'm on my own, which is unfortunate. It is interesting that I think, uh, like Nell's computer, then there was this like Pokedex kind of like device that was in Pokemon that could give you all the information mm. in the world. And it feels like our, like the kid, the 80s kids, uh, 90s kids, like um, idea about the world that we are now at the cusp of being able to like build like the 30s, 40s, um, like generation. And I, I wonder how much like pop culture is also going to influence that because for the previous generation, for the mm. like green page generation, the idea of like a machine that can give you all the answers in the world, it probably looked a little bit different because their youth was spent in a different time and era. And it was still influenced more by the kind of the whenever Bush, the mimics, the, the kind of uh, war and also, also the Vietnam stuff and so forth. So in that sense, I always when I look at like technological changes, I'm always interested in like, where did the people spend their like childhood in and what kind of like environment or climate or, or like culture uh, they were influenced by. And, and yeah, the Stephenson's book, it came out in nineties, maybe. I, I can't remember anymore, but, but it definitely was kind of a big influence idea that you could have like a physical book and, and kind of a tablet oh, and totally. all the stuff that we saw. I love Star Trek and the sort of uh, the tricorder that like sort of could inspect things, but also shoot lasers and things like that. <laughs> um, I think there's the the book in Hitchhiker's Guide that has all the world's mm -hmm. knowledge and all. We have that yeah. now, and what yeah. what are we doing with it? We're doing nothing. Yep. It's like it's useless. That said, earlier today I saw a really scary spider, and I was able to take a photo of it. And some app told me that I should be. Yes semi-scared but not super scared of this spider so there i mean it is kind of magical uh in some sense but for the most part i feel we're just so quick to adapt that we, you know, if we're just uh we're still waiting around the corner for something that maybe that's the point that there is no sort of moment where we're going to realize we're in this um, maybe it's when we're strapped into our apple headsets and there's feeding tubes into us and that's when we're going to achieve zen mm -hmm. but, uh yeah we just adapt so quickly that the technology we had now when I was a kid, uh, you know, obviously I couldn't, it's inconceivable. It's just, mm. it's just wild. One mm. of the things that I'm, I feel like I have a hard time. I was, I had a hard time like getting excited about the generative, uh, like image based AI stuff. And then AR uh, and VR are like other things that I always feel like, oh, I'm not sure, like how do these like worlds yeah. fit together? And, and, but now I, I found this, like he's a British, um, or it's a, like, um, Oh, I can't remember the university where it's based, but it's a group called Unconventional Computing. And the idea is that they research all kinds of like non-silicon-based, non-von Neumann machine-based computing uh, substrates or ideas. And it's just this group that like blows my brain um, out. And I'm always fascinated. So one of them, uh, it's Andrei Adamatsky, the person behind it. And he researches like mushroom computers and how we could use uh mushrooms as a substrate to kind of build logic gates out of it and like kind of eventually program entire forests to understand better what's going on and, and i think that's a far more interesting like uh kind of vision of what computing looks like far weirder far more uh like uh intertwined with the the world and what, how it looks like and then like from my perspective is how do we prepare the six-year-olds or the four-year-olds to a world where computers are no longer only these like 
metal machines, uh, but they they can be organic and they can like be like appear and disappear and and like fill entire rooms again, like the mainframes did at uh, like at the time. So I'm hoping that voices like this will be kind of um, like in addition to the matrix, like like strapped into our devices vision that we will have these more uh, more hopeful from my perspective ideas about how and what the computers of the future will look like. Yeah, I read a. Uh, I'm gonna have to get that link to the the mushroom computer from you because I just read another book. Yeah. I don't want to spoil it, but it's a relatively recent sci-fi book, and it has ant-based computers. So I won't name the title, but it's it, <laughs> it, it blew my mind. Um, I was gonna I was gonna ask this question that popped up around uh, in, like inspiration. I'm thinking about like what's inspiring kids to learn to code, and uh, I think a lot of what is tends to motivate me, like at least in programming, there are these hero-like figures and some of those mm. people have different heroes, but the heroes sometimes are in a garage and they're just building it themselves. I think I love <laughs> and catch fire in episode one when they, oh yeah, uh, you know, uh, instruction by instruction or putting it out and like, you know, basically reverse engineering the IBM chip taking all week. And I'm looking at that. I'm like, this is like the greatest thing I've ever seen. But then there are these founder myths and things like that. How important is it basically how important is it and is it good or bad to have these sort mm -hmm. of figures that are drawing us to computer science when i think it's you know it's obviously that's ignoring a lot of other people but it yeah. also is inspiring to like maybe it starts the conversation and you can broaden from yeah. there yeah no i do think stories are so important like they are the they are the original way we learned about the world and each other and, and truly about ourselves. And, and I think the power of stories is something that computer science like uh, should use more. At the same time, I do think the shape of the stories might become a little bit more diverse and and the way we speak about like what kinds of tasks or roles people do uh, within the field of computer science could be more diverse but it's, it's a hard thing because it's so ingrained to us to the kind of the hero myth shape of the story where like there's one sole uh, person who like conquers them inconquerable database or or programming uh, problem and, and then becomes the hero and beats the dragon and, and whatnot. Uh, so it is a hard thing to tell uh, a story that is not shaped like this, but people are trying. And I think the surfacing mm. of like some of these are uh, like the Inayak programmers or uh, like uh, being able to talk, tell stories about maintenance or like how how to keep up things uh, like those are some great efforts in, in kind of broadening the, the shape of the stories we tell around computers and like who are the people and how do they do things. But I, I I wouldn't undermine the power of a story uh, still, even though I, I know that, especially in our field, it is uh, like a kind of a narrow model of a story that we get told often. They inspire at least me a lot. It seems really hazardous, right? Because if the if you don't relate to the individual and someone's trying to tell yeah. you a story of this person and you don't relate to them, like yeah. that could turn you off in a way where, you know, maybe you were going to have an experience with a computer that, it not is not related to other people and, and that's maybe something that's nice about computing that's different to say sports like you can't yeah. aspire to be a basketball player without thinking about other basketball players and basketball stars <laughs> and so on mm -hmm. your first yeah. experience with the computer can just be the REPL right and it can or it can just be something that you're interacting with you get some feedback you do something else you get some mm -hmm. more feedback or you want to create something just like pen and paper except it's a website and uh, it doesn't need to be about other people at all. It can just be about mm. your own 
your own self-expression i think a lot of things a lot of things aren't so i wonder where like the stories start to come in is it like you're yeah. you know, now you you've been doing it for a little while and you wonder if you can make a career out of it or you've been doing it for a little while and you 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 know you don't know what to do with it next like you've mm. had enough of making websites and you don't know if you're, you're going to go and make something else i i heard terrible stories that turned me off of computing uh yeah. when i was at that at that point where it was like you know i I'd, I'd been tinkering and i thought maybe this is what i would do and people started telling me not to because yeah. stories of jobs going to Japan, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you're part oh, of this team, but like all the jobs were going to Japan and uh, you know, stories like that of just the, the I wonder the, how like the, the shape of the GDP story has like so much power over us because I do think that I've heard the same stories going like, oh, like we need to get more programmers to make the, the countries rise and then on the opposite side, like, uh, don't become a programmer because all of the jobs are going away. And I, I like, I wonder if what's like anyone on earth wakes up in the morning and feels compelled by by the story of the, the growing or shrinking GDP. Um, I don't know. I, I think you're raising a, a good point there. I, I've never thought about it from that perspective. I've somehow felt that often art is a way of like building empathy, uh, and especially now in the field of diversity and equity and and these kinds of things there's this strong push of like can i see a person who looks like me do things uh like say program a computer or or uh, lead a software engineering team and i think it's really important and at the same time i wonder if we're getting too sort of narrow and i'm often asked um like is ruby a book only for girls um that they can see like a hero that looks like them solve problems and sure in some ways yes but I, I think it's equally important for a little boys to see a little girl be a problem solver who like makes mistakes and messes around with computers and in that sense just like making sure that we have different kinds of stories different shapes of stories different motivations for stories uh, and not trying to tailor like every story to every person uh, should be enough uh, but yeah the terrible stories shall go <laughs> Well, do you I feel also... like you mean... sorry, Charlie. No, go, go ahead. Go ahead. I was I was gonna say, do you feel like uh when you when you meet even a young kid that there are some mm. for whom it's like a little bit too late? Like that they've had oh, experiences wow. or exposure where it's now challenging for you to get them excited about something, which if you'd met them a few yeah. years before or before they had this negative experience, or do you not think they're so mm. sensitive? Their first exposures to this so i think people always assume that it's too late like i think about myself at 22 or 23 when i first learned uh ruby and i like i had been playing with computers at an earlier age but just like copy pasting php stuff around and i never like saw the label programmer like on top of my head and then in my early 20s i was like oh should i be learning about computer science should i be learning about like um, like rigorously learning about different programming languages. And then I realized that, oh, it's too late. And now I look back, I'm like, what do you mean too late? Like, I, like there's so much time and uh, like a person in their twenties is just getting started. I could have easily like uh, just decided that this is gonna be my life thing. Uh, but yeah, I, I think there's this certain like age, um, like, like not affinities, but like, um, I can't remember the English word for it, but just when you um, are more um, aware and more susceptible for for 
things and especially I think for young girls like around the age of 10 to 12 it's an age where things start to shrink because you're kind of entering your teen years and there's been this research that states that like girls start to give, give themselves these sort of self-defining ideas that I can be a person who does x or y at around the age of like uh, 12 they start to kind of define themselves very narrowly as a part of like your personality growing and your your like kind of forming like this is who I am but then there's other research that states that the same process starts to happen already at the age of five which is like devastating for me and and kind of an answer to your question like no I I think there's so much like depth in us and so much interesting like life experiences and and like to think that someone has passed the bus for being a programmer uh, whether it's about age or, or about like previous life experiences, maybe they should bring those life experiences to the experience of being a programmer and say that like, no, I'm not going to do this. And if I think about myself, like my early 20s feeling that I'm too old to become like a programmer um, and then kind of stepping into my own kind of light and, and embracing the idea that like, what if I create programming curriculum or pedagogy that looks like me, mm. that looks like the way I would have wanted to learn things and turning that into an opportunity and i think there's countless nurses like countless school instructors uh, like uh, fishers farmers whatnot who like instead of seeing their previous life experiences as uh like um hindrance could see it as uh, like an asset that they they have these things and experiences around uh, other things in life than computers um, and hopefully we can turn that disillusionment around um, and help see computers as something uh, that can build uh, on top of that. There's this, there's this amazing wait but why diagram that came out a couple months ago, maybe a year ago, where it shows in the middle is like a dot and it's like, this is you right now. And these are all the different, there's a bunch of tributaries, like lines going into this dot, feeding in and fan, like going into this dot and saying, these are all the paths you could have gone down up to this point. Yeah. And then your center dot, and then the inverse, all fanning out. It's like, this is the X is your, your life. And like, these are all the different directions you can go. And you feel like closed all these doors. But if you, like yeah. this is the moment where you take a step forward. The other thing that makes me think though, I'm now reading this book, Oh Crap, Potty Training. And they do say if you if you don't start this by a certain age, you it, it's going to get bad. So uh, in some respects, maybe it, it is really important to hit that sweet spot. But for most of these things, I do feel like you know this is day one. You can keep moving forward. Oz, you're, you're I chunk. would like to I would like to clarify my question because I do not want oh, anyone to, to go away believing that I believe that there's an age after which you can't be a mm. professional programmer. Like mine, well. Almost all of my students are people who came to programming mm -hmm. like later in life. And I, I think that, I yeah, including Charlie, and yeah. uh, I think the idea that people at the age of 18 know that they, they should be a software engineer and can pick a computer science major and like learn about operating systems at 18 and remember it for four years. Yeah. And then go, that's just a, that's just a fantasy. Like that's not how people really work. So yeah, I totally believe in people picking up uh, this stuff later in life. I don't want to suggest that. I, mm. that so you might not. Um, I was wondering more like how sensitive do you think that kids are to their early mm. exposures to something mm. like, if if you meet an eight year old mm -hmm. kid, they don't consider themselves sporty. 
Like, is yeah. there much of an opportunity that you have to instill a love of sport? Like in, in the yeah. same way as computing, like ha, ha, have they maybe had exposures? At, uh, like how sensitive do you think they are to their yeah. first exposures to computing? Oh, um, I love that phrasing. I, I, I like it better that way. I think like that, like, can you turn away someone from programming at an early age uh, versus like, are there experiences, like foundational experience that can like help someone? Uh, and I think absolutely, and that's a lot of like the teaching I do, uh, like kind of the premise and the idea is that like if you offer a meaningful experience or like a memorable experience for a child at an early age around computers that makes them feel that, hey, I can be a part of this. I made a paper computer or I enacted a von Neumann machine by being the input data and becoming the output data, like also they are not going to be able to define a von Neumann machine in 10 years time but they will have that memory and they can like go back to that memory and feel like, hey, I did that, I was part of that. And it doesn't need to be like a whole curriculum worth of things. Hopefully it will be in schools. But I like, I, I think that memory is the thing that counts and instilling those memories and, and creating those experiences is, is what I try to do with Ruby uh, instead of kind of transferring knowledge to them or, or offering them these like, uh, things that they learn uh, by rote, uh, saying that a CPU is part of the computer. Like, what if you play act a CPU or, or like play act how a high frequency trading algorithm works or, or so forth. So, so that's a, or, or like remember that, hey, once I read this book and there was this little gold ruby. And then when you down the line, like run into programming, then you'll be able to recognize uh, that it, it's a thing where I belong. And, and, I'm often asked like the kind of more limiting question is like, uh, at what age should kids start programming? At what uh, age is it, is it too late to start programming? And I think it's just the wrong question. It's, it's more the question you ask is like, are there moments when we can offer um, like a pathway uh, in? And kind of the opposite question also is like, is there something that we accidentally can be doing wrong like by offering the wrong kinds of stories? The, uh, this is making me think of something that Oz and I have discussed before. We had um, Elliot, who's one of the teachers that works with Oz, has this whole theory about the correct way to read a textbook. And I think the way that I always read textbooks <laughs> is certainly instinctively incorrect, where you read it linearly and you just assume yeah. that I'm going to remember everything. But there's almost a physicality associated with his way of reading where you have to, uh, when you come up to something bold or in a box, you put your hand on it and try to imagine well, I'm probably butchering Elliot's description of this, but you have to sort of define what the next thing is, what the big definition that you would outline. And you have to be interactive with the book. And yeah. I, I see something similar in your books where the first half is a narrative, but the second half is this mm. physical exercises. And then I think uh, it's interesting to me that it's both for early childhood, but then adults, uh, you know, professionals who are learning this stuff, you know, you can't just only read it and assume you're going to do it. You have to, mm. you have to get physical with the contents in some way. You have yeah. to do, you have to do projects. You have to do these things. And I think it's, it's interesting to me that that it feels like a constant between the, the, both of the curriculums that you both are putting out that you're, you're getting people to not only learn the thing, but touch it, feel it, yeah. move it around, break it. I think materials give us time to reflect and think. And there's a reason why early childhood uses so much Play-Doh and like just physicality, like, the touch offers us resistance and it offers us like 
uh, time to formulate our ideas. Whereas a lot of the, um, like, like Oz was talking earlier, like you can't go inside a child's brain and see the misconception, but if it's in their fingers, uh, it's, it's easier to kind of see their thinking process. And that's why I tend to put a lot of effort into making like these tactile experiences around computing. The other thing, when I was kind of designing a lot of the curriculum around Hello Ruby and the, the exercises, I always try to think about exercises that don't have a right answer or a wrong answer. And this is true to many of the things that I, I uh, like not all of the activities are like this, but many of them try to be more open-ended because that was kind of the thing that hooked me into computers. I never loved math. Um, in primary school, because a lot of math in primary school is about having a right answer or a wrong answer. And at some point in secondary school, the process becomes important that you need to show how you came to the right or wrong answer. Uh, but then for me, the beauty of computers was the fact that you could have so many different answers. And there was like five different ways of solving a problem. And some of them were more elegant. Some of them were more kind of like hatcheted uh, or put together. Um, but there was the fact that there was many different ways of solving a problem, which is kind of more akin to social sciences or, or like um, the arts uh, uh, and humanities side of the world. Um, and that's something I want to make visible in, in what I do. And then there's a lot of Montessori built into it. So Maria Montessori had these ideas around product design that needs to be self-teaching, beautiful, scaffolding. She had this like list of principles of five things that uh, like all of the Montessori activities ought to be, and they were designed in the early 19th century, um, 18th century, anyways, uh, like uh, 120 years ago, and uh, they are still, again, like really relevant in the way we we design curriculum and design activities, and that's what I try to do, like have them be open-ended, uh, imaginative, playful, um, offer a tactile relationship with the ideas, um, and then like hope that there's a meaningful memory that the child creates around packet switching or 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 uh, like input output or these ideas and then can later kind of attach um, the words and sentences and descriptions to that idea. Charlie, have you figured out how you're going to teach? I, I assume that you're going to teach some some kind of programming or computing. Well, I'm I believe I maybe have emailed this to Linda before, but uh, my my thing that I've been working on is I'm trying to I've written a novel which is imag almost imagine Ruby but um, for a, a later later demographic like middle grade going into mm -hmm. young adult using that narrative structure but also trying to teach computer science along the way and trying to have computer science be part of the puzzle uh, you know instead of learning magic you're learning computers. I've written a, uh, it was the sort of project that I've been working on for a long time. And I've gotten some feedback that it's fairly unstructured. I'm working through it, but I, I really think that there's something here, like taking that narrative, uh, introducing that literate, like that familiarity, and then giving people nuggets to sort of, sort of acorns to jump on. And if they want to mm -hmm. chase those later, they can do that if they want, but also they don't have to, they can just read mm -hmm. a, like a fun story. Have I been successful at this? No, but I, I do have a bunch of questions, Linda, around um, the sort of process of writing a book and the, even oh. even a book, even a book project in and of itself. Like uh, why go with a book versus go with an online course? Uh, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm very curious about the motivation for you to do this because a book is, this is printed once, it's hard to update. Yeah. 
uh, yep. especially for like a coding project, you almost want it to be something where there is a REPL mm -hmm. built in that the person can go along with. So I could have imagined this project as an app or a website. You went with mm -hmm. a book. What was that? What was that process like? Is that something I'm I'm debating? Yeah, I think a book is good in the sense that it is finite. Like there is uh, usually a year to make a book, uh, like just from the sort of industry side of things that there is this pressure to keep uh, moving and, and other people's deadlines and print deadlines and so forth. Um, and our brains handle finite better than infinite. Uh, so if I had to make a book, uh, like a website or app or like a community in the beginning, I would have been paralyzed because I would have mm -hmm. like been thinking it needs to be perfect. And like, it seems, seems counterintuitive, but, uh, a book can have an errata, uh, a book can still have like little updates, uh, happening in there. Um, but yeah, I, I wondered uh, for a long time, like, why did it feel so important for me to make a book? But then I realized that a book is a campfire, like people recognize what a book is. They can gather around a book and kind of build a community around it. And then it feels like, uh, now Ruby is like almost 10 years old. I think it was 2014 that I did the Kickstarter. And then it was like a few years after the book came out. And after that, I've done like, uh, I've done a self-paced kind of video. It's called Love Letters for Computers. Yeah. And there's like uh, online material that is quite like a lot of material for free online nowadays, which I couldn't have been able to do um, otherwise. And then the new project I'm working on is uh, I'm making a playground uh, where you crawl inside of a computer and then you learn how a computer functions and you learn how algorithms wow. work and how like if else statements function pro physical play it's going to be built it's a free public playground here in helsinki and uh, there's going to be like curriculum for early childhood educators around that uh, but i couldn't have started because it's too vague it's too hard to understand a project like that unless it can be grounded and like drawn back into something like a book uh, which can be bought and which can be owned and which can be passed on from one person to another and i think there was uh, in hindsight, a reason why my career started with books, um, but it didn't end there. So yeah, because then the books are like tedious things. I still, there's a fourth book in the Ruby series called on AI and machine learning that came out five years ago, still very relevant, but my US publisher refuses to like keep working on the series and um, they, they keep the books in print, but the fourth book never came out. There's like a bind up version I've done with just updated because a lot of my thinking has also changed a bit in the past 10 years. So yeah, book publishing can be a pain and, and difficult to manage. Um, so. Well, I, I want to ask about the playground because I'm, I'm ready to book, I'm ready to book a flight to Helsinki. <laughs> I, I did a one, one sort of mechanical thing so like Kickstarter mm -hmm. feels very self-publishing. Did you go down mm -hmm. self-publishing first and then switch to traditional? No. How did that work? So I, I had a, we had, uh, this was again like almost 10 years ago when was Kickstarter was also a very different kind of platform when that it is today and I was insanely lucky in that the project like blew uh, up uh, in a matter of, of days um, it was like a lot of the kind of Ruby community I knew at the time a lot and the Rails girl stuff and, and so forth but then it, it just hit a nerve in, in kind of the learn to code a realm and it became so successful that there were no tools uh, like we have today for self-publishing at the time um, that it could have been even feasible to do and then I ended up going with like one of the big big four publishers um, and at the time it felt like oh it's going to be easier to reach people I couldn't reach otherwise and it's going to like open up the book into for an audience that like doesn't 
full on me or full on kind of dead education, uh, computer science education field online. But turns out, uh, I don't know, in hindsight, I probably would have like self-published. Uh, it would have been a smarter thing to do. So I always feel that it's so hard to give other people advice on anything because uh, the paradigms change also yeah. so often. Uh, like what had worked 10 years ago definitely doesn't work today. And even then it was like a lucky uh, strike for me that uh, all the things aligned and all the kind of zeitgeist was in favor of the project. And I don't think I could repeat or I, I definitely couldn't repeat it today. Um, yeah, so, no, yeah. I, I agree with that. I think getting advice is sort of that fake work where you feel like you're making progress on your own project by getting advice from <laughs> yeah. someone else. And it's uh, it's totally in that camp of fake work. Um, but then the, the thing you can do is ask for real experiences. And, mm -hmm. and like one of the, like I had no idea how publishing works and I still like barely, barely do. But maybe I that's the other thing about becoming middle-aged is like you are more just, Hopefully I remain hopeful, but like a little bit of pessimism comes into everything and, and yeah. <laughs> well, well, uh, anything that can lead towards a path where you're building a playground in the city you live yeah. feels like that is like, you've done something right. Uh, I've been to Helsinki yeah. a couple of times. I remember my favorite thing about Helsinki is there's this one coffee shop that when you get a refill, it pays you five cents it's on this little island and like since then I've, I've told everyone I know about it <laughs> but now I feel like I have another reason to go so another what, reason. yeah when is the playground opening um where can we learn more 20, about it yeah 2024 uh we're just um gonna have some like uh, announcements this fall I think I'm gonna mm -hmm. share on my newsletter uh the manufacturer of the playground is gonna be uh hopefully like a uh nice little inkling of, of what's to come and and uh we're hoping that like a lot of the curriculum we design around the playground is going to be modular in the sense that it doesn't require like a expensive bespoke uh, this is going to be like a really cool uh designy playground but at the same time like thinking like how can we just use any public playground like the swings or the trampolines or the play structures to to teach about computer science curriculum so if anyone is energized or excited about thinking about these topics um we're starting the work on that in the fall uh with a bunch of early childhood educators and i would of course have love to have like international perspective in that as well and uh maybe if there's anyone who thinks about building playgrounds or or like public spaces it's been really interesting for me to learn that it's like it's very little about the actual physical like play structures it's a lot about procurement and project handling and listening to different stakeholders and learning how cities function and maybe it kind of ties back to the ideas earlier about education is I came into this project very kind of um bushy uh tailed and bright-eyed and feeling like gung-ho that let's like build this thing and it's going to be up in a year it's been three and a half years that we've been building the playground and now like finally like next spring it's gonna like actually break ground and and uh, we're gonna build it but I wouldn't do it any other way also because a playground is going to be there for 20 years like for the next 20 years the kids are going to be playing with the computer playground and it's so important that we like talk to people we like engage with different uh like schools and and youth houses and neighbors and and different like affinity groups and figure out like what makes sense for them and i think there's a lot in public like urban planning that the software industry could be learning from and there, there's like natural tipping point like uh, or touch points there's christopher alexander's work with the pattern languages and 
and so forth that both software engineers and public uh, like architects and, and landscape architects love. But there could be so much more also um, discussions happening between the two. And as tech is becoming more and more of this, like not a public space, but in some ways, like a, like a thing that touches many people's lives in the same way as cities used to be. I think uh, dialogue is, is something that we, we ought to be having more. And then the like computing playground is just uh, something that like helped me have the um, materials to think with my hands and, and kind of slow down and, and really think about the principles and ideas uh, behind. That's amazing. Uh, is Can you give us a preview of one of the, I know you mentioned physical structures <laughs> aren't the most important thing, but what is yeah. the slide? What does the slide represent? Is there? Is uh -huh. there so there's going to be like this um, play tower. It's called like the professional term uh, that is going to be shaped like a computer. So uh, like stacks of, of like computer CPU, RAM, and ROM stacked on top of each other, and then a hard drive, like a separate tower, and there's going to be a little bridge that combines them, like buses inside of a computer. So you can basically learn to be the input data by crawling inside of the computer that will have like code inside of it. The, the, there's not, not going to be any plastic or any uh, screen, so it's going to be uh, entirely built of very Scandinavian wood structures. And then there's going to be a slide where you can like become the output data and slide out of it, uh, the computer, or you can become the virus that goes inside of the computer or whatnot. So, so kind of, again, the same principles of open-endedness of being able to uh, like allow the children's spaces to play in different ways. And in the same way as a pirate ship can only be a pirate ship um, and a castle can only be a castle. I think computers are magical because a computer can be anything depending on the instructions we give to it. So the playground is kind of trying to take those principles and keep them alive and allow for that like space. And for a kid who like nowadays, a sandbox for them is more likely to be in Minecraft than in the physical world. They are more likely to hang out in a Fortnite lobby than like a public square i think it's so important to ground some of these metaphors back into the the world and like offer them like so what would a sandbox experience for a 21st century kid look like if it was actually again real physical sand so some interesting ideas around that happening amazing i i definitely want to check it out i <laughs> i recently volunteered to be part of the uh, parks committee in my local town so oh, cool. I, we should talk if you're looking for uh, yeah. some u.s testing yeah. uh, partners absolutely yeah Oz, are you are you thinking about building uh something similar uh down under well you gave me an idea linda for my students trying to convey like the the feeling of how slow it is to go to ram when you're talking about <laughs> RAM being a physical thing, there's even yeah. Mike Acton's got this fantastic slide in one of his talks where he animates uh, just a trip to L1 cash versus uh, RAM, and he calls it the um, the Battle of the North Bridge or something. Just like, <laughs> give it a sense of, and you've got to watch it like it's slow and it's kind of it's kind of painful, like waiting yeah. for the to go over the North Bridge to RAM. But uh, getting the students to walk that that would be, yeah. I think because the students who get to do the cash they get finished and then we've got to like wait and watch everyone slowly get to ram just like really imparting that and then the the thing I do want to do... yeah right and then you go back and forth because the algorithm's not very good yeah. that'd be good as well the sorting algorithms it reminds me actually of you've probably seen those um youtube videos of the sorting algorithm uh, uh dances 
yeah the hungarian uh, yeah the hungarian dances yeah reminds me of that kind i've of done thing. pancake stacking algorithms uh with like physical pancakes and it was a marvelous idea except for the fact that pancakes are kind of small and they are hard to kind of make in the right sizes so that you could like actually stack them and then my hands were like super greasy afterwards but after like practicing the pancake sorting algorithm with like physical pancakes i will never forget it i think i own the algorithm for life because i've like gone through the painful process of doing it and that's what i mean when i talk about memories that if you like actually physically walk through the north bridge uh, <laughs> to the room, you're likely gonna have like a better mental model and, and it might be a faulty one and that's why i think we need collaboration across like educators because i might be instilling the wrong uh like models also to the kids based on my like ideas uh but it, it's so valuable and interesting uh like creating those experiences that reminds me of one last thing i mentioned there um as well uh nikki ringland who i don't know if you've encountered but she's a um a kind of similar person to you in an australian early childhood education and she had a demo that she loved uh where she would introduce binary search by getting a, an old phone book and not just like um looking in the middle of it but tearing it in half and throwing ah, perfect just so like the good. drama of throwing away half the book uh yeah. she felt like had a real impact on the on the students and I, it's it's interesting to like meet people like that and it's like I never would have thought of tearing it like for sure, I would have thought of having a physical book and that this teaches binary search in a, in a way that's better than, you know, integers in an array or whatever. But like her drama of like ripping it and tearing it away, it's fantastic. Like that sticks in a way where it doesn't matter if it's five, 10 years time, like binary yeah. search, it's still with you. So. Oh, Oz, we yeah. had that with compound interest in that we had this finance for non-finance people in college. And we went into the class one day and everyone had this little Hershey bar on their seat, like a little kid size Hershey bar. And then we had our calculators said, what if you grew this, this Hershey thing weighs whatever grams, what if it grew at compound interest for three years at this thing? And someone taps it out. It's like, oh, it'd be whatever. And he's like, that's right. And he pulls out a bigger Hershey bar. And, put it <laughs> and then I said, what if you grew it for 10 years at this? And then, and now everyone's sort of getting it. And they're like, people are yelling and they threw it out. And he's like, that's right. And he pulls out a Hershey bar that's this big. And he said, what if you did it for a well, hundred? And then he, people are like, no. And then he goes around and like goes into the hallway, <laughs> basically like has to wheel this thing in. It's the biggest Hershey bar I've ever seen. L literally all Chuck. I don't know how this was constructed, but I'll never forget compound interest. Uh, after the that biggest movie. Hershey bar that ever was. I'll never forget. Like I wish that existed for computer science, like a pedagogical dramaturgy class or something where like, and I, I know that for some people it seems gimmicky and, and kind of like cheap and like no real professors do that, but it is our job is to like make meaning and create memories in the child's brain, not like transfer our knowledge. And often it happens for something like that. And I, I super love that. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Well, Linda, I think you are, you're at, the, you've always been at the vanguard of that for me. And I think you with the playground and everything else, you're going to um, make people love their computers again. So <laughs> I, I'm very confident of that. Uh, it was amazing talking with you. Thank you so much for the time. And hopefully we can talk again soon. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, Linda. There's something just crawled into my into my little office here. Uh, Ooh. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna use my <laughs> phone, phone and yeah, yeah. And find out if if I should be scared. Okay. Exactly. Bye bye. Bye bye.